17 through 27. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, you may. You can find it on page um, 229 in the New Testament section. James is a letter, but it's unlike the letters written by Paul. But sometimes we may be more familiar with Paul's letters are a letter of correspondence. James' letters are letters that are written and sent to people, but it's more of literature. And we, we think of James' letters as being literature called wisdom literature. It's similar to the Proverbs um, in the Old Testament. And so as we listen to the God's word, let's keep that in mind. Um, I invite you now to listen. James 1, 17 through 27. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all the certainness in the rank of growth of wickedness and welcome the meekness that implanted word that, was, that has the power to save your souls. Be, but be doers of the word. And not merely, merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and are going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserve being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If anything, they are religious. And do not brittle your tongue, but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Religion is pure and undefiled by God before God. The Father is this. Excuse me. Religion that is pure and undefiled by God, the Father is this. To care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There's an old Kenyan proverb that says, when you pray, always rem remember to move your feet. And God's life, God gives us a life. He gives us a life of directions. And if there is a book in the Bible that embodies this exhortation, it is James. But too often, too many of us, and I would even say the church, are uncomfortable with the silence to hear these directions. The Washington Post executor, executive editor Marty Barron gave a lecture a couple years ago where he asked in regard to the times in which we are living, how was it that so many people believed things that were untrue even though that we could document that they were false? How was it that websites created overnight could successively disseminate falsehoods and crackpot conspiracy theories, 
suffering no consequences for deliberate deceit, but instead gain audience as they do it. To answer, he points to Neil Postman's 1985 book, Amusing Ourselves in Death. While the public worried most about the authoritarian world as envisioned by George Orwell in his 1984 novel, Postman believed a future as imagined by Aldous Huxley, by the brave new world, was most likely. Orwell will feel that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a seer of irrelevance. Orwell feared that he would become, that we would all become captive culture. Huxley feared that we would become a trivial culture. We have been offered nothing less than the word of truth. And not only have we been offered this word of truth, this word of truth has been implanted in each and every one of us. In our world, in all of its preoccupations and distractions, in all of its politics and its discourse and snobberies and prejudice, appears to want none of it. As one author suggests, first we nailed the flesh, now we have nailed the word by speaking of it too glibly. Our text this morning not only sets up the famous lines in the book of James, the famous lines we've all heard before, many of us have heard before, faith without works is dead and, and no one can tame the tongue. It not only sets up those famous lines, it also acts as a hinge between reminding us of the depth of God's word implanted in each and every one of us and the remainder of James that instructs its readers about what we are to do in response to receiving God's word. According to the book of James, that hinge, the hinge before acting on God's word and receiving it is to listen. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I wonder if we peel back the layers of, of what some call a trivial culture with, filled with glib words that many of us have become uncomfortable with listening. Maybe we become uncomfortable with listening because we're not sure what to do with the silence that accompanies it. Fred Bigner remembers a time going to movie theaters in the early 1980s to, to watch the movie Gandhi on its opening weekend. It was a usual kind of noisy, restless Saturday crowd as we sat there waiting for the lights to dim down with our popcorn and our soda pop in hand. Girlfriends and boyfriends holding hands. Teenagers, legs draped over the back of empty seats. But by the time the movie came to a close, with the flames of Gandhi's funeral pyre filling the entire wide screen, there's not a sound or movement in the whole theater. We filed out of there as a group of strangers, teenagers and citizens, senior citizens alike, 
and it's a deep entailing of silence that I've ever been a part of my entire life. The silence, we've all experienced it before. Whether we're experiencing it coming out of a movie theater, or walking in a cemetery alone, or the halls late at night in a nursing home. It's a silence that fills a house when a child's temperature reaches a dangerously high number. Or someone comes home and finds a note. I left you because I never loved you. It's the same kind of silence that you find when you discover that the Christmas stocking of someone who just recently died. Or the silence you feel when you hang up the phone with a doctor and he tells you that the results are in and they are not good. To be clear, the silence that we're talking about is not a, a welcome respite of, of our noisy lives. The silence that we're talking about is a threatening silence. The one that rips away at our trivial culture and our glib words. The silence born of news that stops our heart. A friend confides in you. I had to tell someone about this. My brother committed suicide last week. And you stammer, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. And we know that's all that we can say. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. There are no other human words that are any better than that silence. No human words that can adequately fulfill the void in that person's heart. This is why worship is the most important thing that we do as a church family. It prepares us to be in that silence. And this is why we sprinkle silence throughout, the entire, throughout our, all of our worship. It prepares all of us to sit with a friend when we receive that phone call. And prepares us to open up those newspapers as we put our face into our hands and we cry out, my God, my God, will the wars and the killing ever stop? Good Lord, how many more deaths do we have to have from this pandemic? First, it was the wildfires and then the hurricanes and the earthquake and now the floods. Why, oh God, why? What we're really saying is, God, what say you? It's interesting that throughout the whole Old Testament, the phrase that we hear is, Hear, O Israel. This was not only heard and read throughout the Old Testament, but this is the ground of Israel's faith. It was the ground of, of Jesus' faith when Jesus says, Thy will be done. The focus on that language is, on our ears. It's the focus of language is the ears of us. Not what we say, or not how we pray, or the words that we use has nothing to do with speaking, but everything to do with listening. And somehow over time, those prayers have shifted to hear us, O Lord. You hear the shift. God saying, Hear my people to us saying, Hear us, O God. In these words, we are imagining 
the burden of listening is on God rather than us. The danger with this shift is that we begin to control our prayers. When we control our prayers, we begin to think that we can control God, which I wonder is the heart of our temptation than listening. If there is too much silence, our temptation is to think then that God is nowhere to be seen. Barbara Brown Taylor writes, only an idol always answers. The God who keeps silence, even when God's own flesh and blood is begging for a word, is a God beyond anyone's control. And the answer will come, but not until the silence is complete. And even when the answer may be given in silence, this is seen by God, the cross and the tomb, is that God says nothing. The silence of the cross and the tomb that defy all the domesticated ways that we have done to change these two events. The silence of the cross and the tomb that says everything that we need to hear. Or maybe our temptation but the silence of our, our fear is what that silence of the cross and the tomb uh, say to us. That the love of God will stop at nothing in order to get closer to us. And in doing so, that God's love will always have the tendency then to disrupt and to dislocate and to discomfort each and every one of us. Including the church. A young seminarian looking for a, a better way to connect with God asked... Uh, Nadia uh, both Weber, Pastor Nadia, what do you personally do to get closer to God? What kind of spiritual practices do you use? Before she even realized it, she blurted out an answer. What? Uh, nothing. Sounds like a horrible idea to me. Trying to get closer to God? Getting closer to God might mean that getting told to love somebody I just don't like. It might mean just giving up more money than I already give. It might mean letting some idea or dream that is dear to me, get ripped away. I remember sitting in seminary full of dreams and ideas of what it was like to be in church and what church was like. I always remember sitting in seminary and, and some of these ideas that I had dreamt about slowly being disrupted. It happened once as I listened to a professor discuss a time when he served on an administrative commission. An administrative commission is a distinct group of um, people that happens in the Presbyterian church when a congregation is a great conflict. Or it could happen when a el ruling elder or minister of the word and sacrament has been brought up on some kind of charges of misconduct. Then what the presbytery does in these cases forms an administrative commission. It's a small group of ministers and ruling elders to investigate these charges. In this case, a young adult in the church had brought up charges of, of me, um, sexual misconduct against a pastor who had just recently left the church. I don't have to tell you how very serious, serious, serious thing this is, our professor reminded us as he was telling the story. Anytime you have this kind of trust being broken, it's a horrible thing that can 
affect people's lives for the rest of their life. So a small group of people made of this administrative commission, and their job was to listen to the complainant, to listen to the pastor, and try to find some type of truth. The same truth that James says is implanted in our souls. So the group met with this uh, complainant, a, a young adult now. And at the end of the time, they were a teenager when all this happened. The young person showed up, and they gave them evidence, and they gave them emails, gave them notes, and they told lots of stories. Then they met with the pastor, who told the group that it was all lies. This young adult was deeply troubled, had always been a deeply troubled, deeply troubled when they were a kid. And the family did not like the pastor anyway, so the family and this young adult came into cahoots with one another to conspire together to ruin this individual's career. And they asked the pastor if they could get, find more information. Would he, with his permission, would they allow him them to contact the two previous churches of which he had served, both being in California, they were now in Atlanta. Uh, we talked to the individuals there discreetly. We found two individuals, one at both churches, willing to conversate with us, be in conversation with us. We sought them out. We were reminded. We sought them out. They did not seek us out. So three of the members of this commission flew to California to meet these two young adults. None of these young adults had ever met each other before. They didn't know that one another existed. The conversation lasted for the first young adult for about three and a half hours. The young adult told a story. As a young adult about, um, told this story, what stuck with this commission was that the behavior and the words spoken by the pastor as this young adult experienced it were identical to the experience of the young adult in Atlanta. And then we began to see this pattern being created. And there were moments in this conversation just long, uncomfortable silence filled with tears and anger. And after three and a half hours, we began to close the meeting. And as the meeting was closing, one of the pastors in the group turned to this young adult and they said, would it be okay with you if we closed in prayer? I have not prayed since all this happened, the young adult said. That's okay. We would like to pray for you. Is that okay? Yes, that'd be fine. So they prayed together. And the young adult got up, and as she was leaving, walking out the door, looked back and turned around and looked at these three individuals, one a professor, one an elder, one a minister. And she said, you know, all of my friends and my family, they told me not to come today. They told me not to talk to you people. You do not, that I did not want to bring all this up again. That I spent years and years and years of trying to heal from. Besides, they told me, you're just church people. They're going to be against you from the very start. And they will doubt your story. At the end, they'll just tell you that you're lying. But you know, you did not do any of that. So thank you. I actually do not think it's important whether you believe me or not. But the most important thing that happened today for me was that you listened. 
You listened to me. You heard me. You just listened. That's, that's all you did. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Listening is the hinge. It's the hinge that brings the word that's implanted in you and in me. We're following that word out of this building together as a church family. The question for us, the question for the church of the 21st century is, is, is the church bold enough to follow what they hear? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.